Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning and welcome to Community Christian Church on this very first Sunday in December. Did I just say that, December? The last month of 2018 already? Boy, time does fly when you're having fun. But here's the good news. You still have 22 more shopping days till Christmas. So no need to stress out. And and while we're on the subject, um, how many of you have just about completed your Christmas shopping? Like you're not all the way there, show of hands, 90%. Yeah, mostly women, right? How many have yet to start? All right, mostly men. That's what I figured. All right, well, you still have time. All right, today as we begin uh, a brand new series, uh, I want to introduce it to you. uh, And we're excited about it, as Pastor Dan has already said. And we're calling it the good old days. Say that. The good old days. When you hear somebody use that phrase or that term, the good old days, they're usually referring to a past period of time when life was better, when it was easier and more wholesome than it is today. And older people love to talk about the good old days. They usually start out with fond and nostalgic memories, and then they conclude that the world is different and way more complicated than it used to be. I mean, do you remember the time when all the stores were closed on Sunday? Some of you remember that. Can you believe it closed on Sunday? Do you know why? So that people could come to church. People could rest and spend time with their families. We all could look back and we could all remember a time that we could refer to as the good old days. It's just human nature to do that to reflect upon a time when life was better, or maybe when you were happier. But the truth is, today is a good day. Do you believe that? It's a good day because Psalm 128, verse 20, uh, Psalm 114, pardon me, 118, verse 24, says this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can rejoice today. Nothing wrong with looking back. Nothing uh, bad about thanking God for the things that he's already done for us. Previous blessings. But let's not diminish or lose sight of the great things that God wants to do for us today. In these current good days. So you have the good old days and you have the days today. All right. As we begin this morning and as we prepare for communion, I'd like to uh, read a story, a familiar story. And from a biblical perspective, this story kind of kickstarts the countdown to Christmas. This story is located or recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And so I'm going to ask you to follow along. You can follow along in your Bible, uh, on your mobile device, or you can just look up here. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. We're going to read this entire account. It's pretty lengthy. So I'm going to ask you to hang in there with me. Don't zone out. Don't start counting Christmas ornaments. And, and please don't, uh, you know, be putting your Christmas list together right now, all right? Pay attention to this story, even though it's familiar, and even though you've heard it a bunch of times, 
let's try to really uh, zero in on what uh, this story has for us today. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I I just want to repeat that because I'm going to talk about it later on. Listen to what the angel of the Lord said about this boy, this, this child that God was going to bless Zechariah and Elizabeth with. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, you have any idea who I am? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. This what? This good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, Zechariah returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. Then Elizabeth said, the Lord has done this for me. And in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. All right, let's talk about this story. The story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as we review the story, as we rehearse it, what I want to do is highlight and focus in on the parts of this story that we know. And we know them because the Bible details them for us. The Bible gives us the information that I want to share with you. And then also included in the review are some things that we don't know about the story. First of all, we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Uh, The Bible tells us they were old. Just how old they were, we don't know. The Bible does not give us their exact or precise age. But we know that they were past the normal age of childbearing, and so we know they had been around a while. Secondly, from the text, we know that they were both descendants of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. 
the original high priest. And them being descendants is the only way that Zechariah could have ever served as a priest. Only his descendants, only those from the lineage of Aaron could serve as priest. And then the scripture also tells us that Elizabeth was from that same lineage as well. Next we know they were reputable people. They walked blamelessly before the Lord. They did everything the law of Moses instructed them to do. They were great at keeping the commandments of God. And they had a good report among all, all the people. And then finally, we know that Elizabeth was barren. Her and Zechariah didn't have a son together, even though they desperately wanted a son. Their whole married life, they prayed for a son. And you can tell from Elizabeth's comments that she was desperate to have a child, but they never had one, never were able to get pregnant until what we just read here in Luke chapter 1. And on this occasion, while Zechariah was performing his priestly duties the same way that he had done for years and years, he was in the holy place burning incense before the Lord, which was a, a, a type of praise and worship and prayer, when he was visited by an angel uh, by the name of Gabriel. And Gabriel said to Zechariah, Zechariah, I want you to know, listen up, God has heard your prayer. All of the prayers that you and Elizabeth have been praying for years and years now, God has heard those prayers, and God is going to respond to you, and in your old age, he's going to give you a son. He's going to give you a baby. But Zechariah, this baby is not going to be just any kind of baby. Oh no, this is the kind of baby that's going to grow up, and he's going to bring joy and delight to your hearts. In fact, he's going to fill you with so much blessing, and you're going to be so happy uh, that he's in your life. In fact, your buttons are going to pop because of this kid. And all of your friends and all of your relatives, they're going to rejoice with you, and they're going to be excited uh, for you as well. And if that isn't enough, Zachary, I want you to know that this child that God is going to bless you with, he's going to be great. But not just great in your eyes, like most parents think. Not just great in your relatives' eyes. Oh no, this little boy, he's going to be great in the sight of God. Because he has a tremendous call upon his life. And from the moment that this little boy is born, just about everyone on the planet is going to know that he is a very special kid. And do you remember how Elizabeth responded to all that a couple of months later after she became pregnant? She said, the Lord has heard my prayer. And the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has favored me. He's blessed me. And he's taken away my disgrace and my anguish. All right, I want you to hit the fast forward or the scene change button to 30 years later. 30 years after this event that we just read about took place. So 30 years after Gabriel prophesied this special son, 30 years after little Johnny was born. And here's where I'm going to ask you to use your imagination because at this point I am going to create a storyline 
that is based 100% on speculation. Conjecture only. My theory. In other words, there is nothing in the scripture that is going to validate what I'm going to present to you right now. And by the same token, there's nothing in the scripture that can disprove it or discredit it. So what I'm going to tell you really can't be known. It's just something that the Lord has placed in my heart, and I'm going to present it to you today. And so here's the picture, and here's the image or the scenario that I want to paint and create in your mind. Remember, I asked you to fast forward to 30 years. 30 years after the angel Gabriel came to Elizabeth and Zechariah and gave them this good news. 30 years after that, about 30 years, their son, their promised, brilliant, and God-ordained son was killed. He was murdered in cold blood by King Herod. Remember, King Herod beheaded him following Herodias' daughter's dance on his birthday. Herodias' daughter performed a dance for King Herod, and he was so gripped and so consumed with his own personal lust and desire, he said to that little girl, he said, I, you name your price, I will give you anything to the half of my kingdom. And this little girl went to her mother Herodias, and she consulted with her, and she said, what should I ask for? And Herodias, because she didn't like John the Baptist very much, said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And she went back and told the king, and the king complied. Now, all of what I just told you is in the scripture. We know all of that. Here's where the speculation comes. A couple of days after John the Baptist was beheaded, and they're holding his funeral or his memorial service, how do you think Elizabeth and Zechariah felt about all that? How do you think they felt and what was going through their minds when they contemplated the premature death of their promised son? Now, if right about this time you're thinking, well, were they even there? Was Zechariah and Elizabeth even alive 30 years after this took place? The answer is we don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. Remember I told you we knew they were old. We knew that they were past childbearing age and God had blessed them with the son in their old age. But we don't know exactly how old they were. But let me offer a little clue or a little hint. And this is what, and this is what led me to speculate in the first place and present this whole scenario to you as a possibility. Listen to what Numbers chapter 8 verses 24 through 26 has to say. This is the rule the priests must follow. Okay, there were rules set up for the priesthood. They must begin serving in the tabernacle at the age of 25, and they must retire at the age of 50. After retirement, they, the priests, may assist their fellow Levites by serving, but they may not officiate in the service. Okay, so according to the verses we read earlier, what was Zechariah doing when he first came into contact with the angel Gabriel? Well, Luke chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says this. 
Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as what? As priest. He was serving as priest before God and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord, which, which was the holy place, and burn incense. He wasn't helping. He wasn't assisting. He was the priest in charge. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that Zechariah hadn't yet retired. And if he hadn't yet retired, he wasn't yet 50 years old. You see, the priesthood at age 50, they were out. They were done. God said, 50 and you're gone. Glad that's not the case today. <laughs> so if Zechariah hasn't retired yet, and if Zechariah is less than 50, then there's an extremely good possibility that Elizabeth was less than 50 as well. And if they were both less than 50, which I believe they were, there is a good chance that one or both of them were alive when John the Baptist was killed, when he was beheaded. Now, you may think that theory is preposterous, like even laughable. No way in the world were they still alive. They were too old. They would have died maybe five, maybe ten years ago. And if you believe that, have at it. I don't mind. You can't prove me right or wrong. I can't prove your theory right or wrong. But since I have the microphone, <laughs> and since this is my message, we're going to pursue my theory for a few more minutes. So again, how do you think Zachariah and Elizabeth were feeling what was going through their mind when they stood there at the gravesite of their son, staring at his headless body, listening to the rabbi speak a few final words over him before they put him in the ground. Remember, they prayed for that kid their whole life. They waited for God to move, and they stood faithful to the call of ministry, John the Baptist was their reward for being so faithful, serving God blamelessly, pillars of faith in the ministry, never once doubting the existence of God or the power of God. How do you think they felt? And remember what the angel said to Zechariah on that day when he first met him? God has heard your prayer. And this little boy... He is going to fill you and your wife with joy and delight. There's going to be so much joy in your life because of this kid. How do you think they're feeling right now? You think they got a smile on their face? You think they're filled with joy? They have a jump in their step or they're feeling at all appreciative of what God had done for them? You know, it's one thing to stand upon the word of God and to pray continuously and to trust God and be so committed to the goodness of God and never get your prayer answered. I mean, pray your whole life and want God to do something for you, fulfill a dream, answer a prayer, and he never does it. It's one thing to do that. It's altogether different to go before the Lord with a prayer request, pour your heart out to him, let him know how you're feeling, and have God grant you the desire of your heart and answer your prayer only to take it back again. Are you following me? That's what happened to Elizabeth and Zechariah. 
They wanted a child. They didn't get one. They kept praying. God blessed them with them. And then at an early age, they lost them. Can you imagine what they were going through? Friend, that hurts. This kind of thing hurts so bad. And a couple of days ago, as I was following the Lord in this direction, and he put this whole idea in my heart, because I had never even thought about this before. The Holy Spirit of God whispered to me and said, you know, sometimes we go through the very same thing. And we pray and we ask God for something and we make our hearts known to him and we cry out to him and he responds to us and blesses us and then takes it back. You know, sometimes we pray for a spouse a mate, a a husband or a wife that we can do life with, someone that we can enter into a loving covenant relationship with, someone that we can love and can love us back. And we pray for years and years about this. And then the Lord comes through for us. And we find out what we believe, we find what we believe to be our soulmate. Only to lose that person through a divorce or even death a short time later. You know, sometimes we cry out to God for financial stability and we ask God to bless us that way. I mean, you have to have money these days. It's the only way you can live. It's the only way you can eat, take care of yourself. And so we pray to God for financial success and, and we go to school and we get educated and we work on our resume and we, and we do a bunch of things to try to get some kind of work experience and then we land that perfect job in response to our prayers. We've been praying for years and finally one comes through. And it's a perfect job for us and we're, we're making money and we're being successful and then all of a sudden the economy goes south or there's a change in management or maybe they do some creative work in the, in the business that we're in and we lose that job. It's gone. You know, sometimes we pray for good health. And we cry out to God that he would keep us healthy. We pray that prayer for years. We ask the Lord to bless the food every time we eat it. We thank him for his gifting. We thank him for his health, the health that he provides for us. And we do our homework and and we try to exercise and we walk in the rain and in the cold. And we watch our diet and we discipline ourselves. We push away the cookies when everyone else is dipping them in milk. Then one day you wake up with a strange pain and you go to the doctor and you find out your body's riddled with disease and with sickness. How do you resolve all this stuff? You pray and you wait and you pray and you wait and you finally God delivers for you and you get an answered prayer and then all of a sudden it's gone. You know, 1 Peter 5.10 says, the God of all grace. The God of what? Not just a little grace. Not even a lot of grace. The God of all grace. The God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Think about that. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 
You know, I'm convinced that God is not the author of human suffering. I've told you that a hundred times. I do not believe that God gets any satisfaction or joy out of watching his people suffer. If God had it his way, we would be back in the Garden of Eden. You talk about the good old days, talk with Adam and Eve. Yeah, they had it good. No sickness, no pain, no suffering, no death, no disease. Only the presence of God. But we're not there. We're not in the garden. We're here today in this place. And the way that God responds to us most is when we put our trust in him. When we have the faith to believe that he's a good God. In fact, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. And they that come to God must believe that he is God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is good. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is kind. He's not looking to put us through trials and tests and suffering. It's through those times, though, that we can see that God is faithful. That God will not abandon us or leave us in the situation that we find ourselves in. I want to quote one final scripture, then we're going to make our way to the communion table. This scripture is found in the book of Job, and I memorized it early on in my Christian walk with the Lord. Because it doesn't take long after the honeymoon period is over with God, you just start dealing with life and dealing with situations and going through times where you have to put your trust in God and keep your eyes on God. And so I memorized this about 40 years ago. It's found in the book of Job. Remember that guy? Job was a very wealthy man. Job had everything you could possibly imagine. And one day Job lost it all. His family, his finances, his health, it was all gone. And in that moment, Job said in Job 13, 15, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, we throw around the word trust like it's no big deal. Job said, even if God not only were to take everything that I have, but even if he were to kill me, yet will I trust him. What does it take to shake your trust in God? What report, what news, what event, what circumstance takes trust out of the equation and starts filling you with doubt? You know, trust in God is trust when your heart is broken. It's trust when you feel abandoned and all alone. Trust in God is trust when you've been betrayed. And now I mean betrayed with a kiss by a loved one. Trust in God is trust when your soul is crushed and when your dreams are dashed and when your hope is all but gone. Job said, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. And he said that because he learned that God was worthy of that kind of trust. Amen. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, I want to take just a couple of moments today 
and allow the Spirit of God to move in each of our hearts and engage us and interact each one of us on a personal level with what we just heard. We thank you, Lord, for your word. It's so full of life. It's so full of health and revelation. Your word is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that we can read a story over and over again. And you could bring some additional insight to our hearts. For a lot of people, this season isn't always a joyful one. Even though that's what the angel said on Christmas morning, not just to Zachariah and Elizabeth, but even when Jesus was born. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Lord, sometimes it's not for all people. And Lord, on this very first Sunday in December, as we start the countdown to Christmas, I wanted to introduce this new series on the good old days by calling us to remembrance of just how faithful you are, just how good you are. You're a God that can be trusted. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge each one of us to put our trust in you this morning. The scripture says it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper had ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Now the scripture tells us that just before Jesus passed out the bread and the cup and just before he shared this communion meal with his disciples, he made a statement to them. And the statement that Jesus made to his disciples is this. One of you is going to betray me. Jesus said to his disciples, they were all sitting around the table. They were all hanging on every word, staring at Jesus, making eye contact. And Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And that comment that Jesus made compelled each one of his disciples to respond and say, Lord, is it me? Not is it the next guy sitting next to me. Not is it John or is it Peter or is it Andrew or Philip, James. Is it me? And when Jesus said that and they responded, they were forced to look at their own hearts and to determine, could I really be capable of doing this? Could I be the one? You know, the Apostle Paul, a short time later, with his instructions to us in the book of 1 Corinthians about communion, he said, whenever you take the cup, whenever the bread is passed, spend a little time taking a look on the inside, making sure that everything's good there. 
Because sometimes there's things that can hide away in the fibers of your heart that really need to be dealt with. So the communion time, because it's a regular ministry that we have, it's a, a, a regular blessing to receive the communion. It, it's appropriate to just spend a couple of minutes and not quickly move through the service, but actually examine your relationship with God. In the same vein, I'm going to make a bold statement today. And for some of you, this is going to be a word of knowledge. There's no way I could have known this other than the Holy Spirit of God helping me to say this. Some of you have gone through some very deep disappointments. And you've struggled with them. You, you've tried to overcome your disappointments. Situations in your life that you had presented before the Lord and it just didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. And as a result, you're holding on to some bitterness. You're holding on to some resentment because of that disappointment. And believe it or not, that bitterness and that resentment is aimed at God. Now, you might not think that. You might not acknowledge that because you have a love for God, and you deeply respect God, and you want to be in right standing with God. And so you wouldn't say that that bitterness, if it's there, is aimed at God. So what you do is try to mask the pain and the hurt and attach the blame to someone or something else. But the fact of the matter is, this situation that you're carrying around with you needs to be addressed with God. It's the only way that you're going to be able to take the next step in life. And for some of you, because the relationship with God is disjointed, it affects every other relationship that you're involved in. You, you, again, you wouldn't say that to me. You wouldn't acknowledge it or spell it out. But it's in fact the truth. And so this morning, some of you are going to have to be bold and courageous enough to say, God, a while back, when I suffered through this disappointment in my life, it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. I came to you. I pleaded with you. I appealed before your throne of grace. And you responded. And you blessed me. And you gave me the secret desire of my heart only to take it back again. And God, that wasn't right. In a very respectful way, some of you need to say that. You know, I was talking with a guy just a couple of nights ago. And he's got some problems dealing with his family members. In fact, he has been estranged from his son for a while now. He's not talking with his son. He's not visiting his son. He, he didn't see him over the holidays. Not last year, not this year. And in, our, in the course of our conversation, something came up and the Lord quickened me. He still has a lot of anger over the early and premature death of his mother. She died when she was young. And that anger, he's holding on to it. And it's affecting his relationships with the people he loves. Now, I didn't tell it to him because I didn't think he was ready to receive it. One day I will. But this is what happens to us sometimes. 
some anger, some resentment, some bitterness over what has happened in our lives stays there. It's not dealt with. It's actually aimed at God, but we don't know it. And so if you would be courageous enough to say, God, that, that hurt me so bad. That wasn't right. I didn't deserve that. God will start the healing process in your life. And you won't hear a bunch of excuses or explanations. You will only hear God let you know how much he loves you, how kind he is. And as a part of that whole healing process, you will hear God speak two words. Those are the same two words that he has spoken to his people with great repetition over the centuries and over the decades. Trust me. I said, trust me. I wish I could tell you how many times in the last 40 years since I've been a Christian, I've heard God say to me, trust me. You know, when other people say that to you, you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> as a part of the healing process, listen to me, as a part of the healing process where we can distribute all that bitterness and get it out of our system, we have to learn to trust in his unfailing love. David said that all the time. Make his complaint known before the Lord, then get circled back around and say, but I will trust in God. He's worthy of that trust. Let's bow our heads together. This is a very private moment that I want you to have with God this morning. And if what I just described to you the feelings of disappointment or brokenness or even maybe a little resentment, if that's not for you at all, I mean, it, as you search your heart this morning and that's not there, I commend you for that, then just pray for the person next to you because somebody in this place is getting healed of these kinds of things right now. You know, sometimes we think it only happens to us. We fail to understand that people like Zachariah and Elizabeth, they went through the same kind of thing that we went through, or what, that we go through. And so I'm just going to ask you, could you be bold enough to say, God, that wasn't right. And I need the healing in my heart. I want to get past this. I want to move on. I don't want this to affect my relationships going forward. I don't want this to reflect, affect my relationship with you. Father, we thank you for these very tender moments in this place. Even from the beginning of our worship time, Lord, when we focused in on your holiness and we said you're holy, when we crowned you as King Jesus, we thank you, Lord. The scripture is careful to tell us that it was on the night that you were betrayed that you took bread. Your heart was broken over the fact that one of your own, a, a chosen disciple, Judas, would betray you with a kiss. But it was in your heartbreak that you cried out to God and you put your trust in him. Lord, as we gather around the communion table today, we acknowledge this great sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you, Lord, for going to the cross that we might share an inheritance with you one day. But we thank you, Lord, for moments like this when you can come and you can touch us 
and you can change us. This is a life-changing, transformational moment for us today, Lord. And I pray for that healing flow in this place. Amen. Let's take the bread first and then the cup. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.